Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kowaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Darren Lehman. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to the Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On today's episode, we talk about the Commonwealth Bank Women's Ashes Series and the JLT Sheffield Shield with Lisa Stalaker and put Usman Kawaja's Ashes knowledge to the test. But we start with the Women's Ashes and welcome an unplayable podcast favourite and former Australia captain, Lisa Stalaker. Lisa, welcome back. Thank you very much. Lisa, we're one third of the way through the Women's Ashes and Australia hold a four points to two advantage. The Aussies won a thriller in Brisbane to kick things off and followed that with a thumping of England in Coffs Harbour. The visitors then avoided the whitewash by taking it the third game on Sunday. Uh, Lisa, has the series gone as you'd expected so far? Well, I thought England and their top order might score a few more runs than what they have already. Um, but obviously we saw in the third game what they're capable, capable of. So... I think the first game was really big in the context of of this series because uh, England should have won the game, but if it wasn't really for Alex Blackwell's innings and also Ash Gardner's, I think, 27 off 18 deliveries, uh, England would have certainly gotten home. And I think that allowed Australia to have some momentum going to Coffs Harbour, a place that they've been to, that they, they love and they enjoy. Uh, and then we saw the, the thumping that they gave them in the second ODI. But credit to England. They fought back and, and showed why they're world champions. And if Australia are slightly off, then uh, England can play their best cricket and, and all of a sudden they're back in the contest. So uh, I thought it might be 2-1 to England, so, but uh, really pleased for the Australian side that they're ahead uh, four points to two in the Women's Ashes series. One of the big calls in the lead-up to the series, Lisa, was the decision to move Alyssa Healy up the order and drop Beth Mooney out of the side to squeeze in that sixth bowler. Uh, Healy delivered uh, scores of 18, 56 and 71. I know you're a big fan of that move, Lisa, but she really took that opportunity and ran with it. She has, and uh, I'm sure that she'll be kicking herself in the sense that, you know, there's there's three innings where she really got in and she was she's been timing the ball really well and Unfortunately, it didn't kind of kick on, and uh, especially in the third game, uh, it needed either Elisa Healy or Nicole Bolton to kind of score a, a hundred and, and stay for a long period of time in order for Australia to come through. But the exciting thing is that she's she has been timing the ball really well. She seems to have Catherine Brunt's measure at the moment, um, with, with Healy hitting at numerous boundaries off Brunt and using the pace beautifully. Uh, so it was a big call, massive call by the Australian selectors to, to drop Beth Mooney. She had performed okay in the Women's World Cup, uh, a couple of starts and uh, and then a couple of low scores. And her and uh, Nicole Bolton were very solid at the top of the order. But what I thought the Australian side lacked in the World Cup was 
you didn't have someone that to take on the the field restrictions in the sense that first 10 overs only two fielders can be outside of the inner circle and I didn't think Australia were utilizing that and I think with Healy at the top She's quite happy and we've seen it numerous times already hit over the top of the infield. Uh, she finds boundaries regularly and it just puts a lot of pressure on the England bowlers right up front. So uh, whilst it was a big call, I think it was the right call and uh, Healy's justified that with her, her starts. Speaking of clearing the boundaries, skipper Rachel Haynes did just that in the second game with a highest score of 89 or 56 balls, nine fours and three sixes, three massive sixes for a uh, for a woman of, of a small frame, it must be said about Rachel. She's got a lot of power. At least what an innings that is by Rachel because she came into the series in the World well, she came into the World Cup as Meg Lang's replacement out of the 11 with Meg ruled out of the entire Ashes series with a shoulder injury. She came in to lead this team throughout the three formats. A little bit of doubt about whether she could you know, hold a spot in the team as a batter, but with that innings alone, she proved all doubters, uh, all doubters wrong. Yeah, she did. And, and I would imagine there has been a lot of pressure on her to justify why she's captain and why she's in the side, given the fact that she can't make the 11 when Meg Lanning uh, is available. Uh, I think she's shown in that innings what she's capable of. Uh, for those that have been around the domestic circuit. We've seen that from Rachel Haynes numerous times. So we certainly knew that she had it within her. And uh, she really is a pocket rocket. She's a ball of muscle. And um, she showed that in that innings of the 89 not out. And I don't think England would have expected her to have such a big impact. And she was the one that really took the game away from the English uh, side because at the back end in the last 10 over she she hogged the strike basically and was able to find the boundaries and clear them easily so she really accelerated uh, Australia's innings at the back end I think they scored 96 off the last 10 uh, and that put them just under 300 which is a really a, a psychological win for the Australian side anytime you get close to that 300 mark the magical mark that um, I think women's cricket is trying to achieve regularly makes it very hard for the opposition to, to chase a total going at a runner ball. Another big selection call by the Australian selectors was to bring in Amanda Jade Wellington for Kristen Beams, who was Australia's leading wicket-taker in the Women's World Cup. She only took one wicket in the 3-1 day as Wellington, Lisa, but she spun the ball a lot, regularly beat the bat of the English batters and was very impressive. Yeah, she uh, bowled exceptionally well up in Brisbane. Uh, she got the ball to, to talk a fair bit, and that, that really allowed Ash Gardner um, at the other end to pick up three wickets uh, because they weren't sure what to do with Wellington. They weren't sure how to play her, and, and that meant that she bowled exceptionally well. Didn't go for many runs and you know, probably was one of the best bowling spells uh, that went wicketless. Uh, while she hasn't picked up a lot of wickets, you sense in the field uh, and watching that there's something going that's going to happen when she comes on to bowl. And I think the Australian fielders just lift that extra uh, extra amount because they know that potentially you know, some half chances might come their way and here's the opportunity to kind of really jump in. So, uh, again, you know, people will look at, uh, look at statistics and go, well, hang on, why is um, Beams out leading wicket-taker for Australia in the women's World Cup, well, because Wellington turns the ball a lot more than Beams. And whilst that can be very effective, bowling stump to stump and, and really asking a lot of questions of the batters, I think I think Australia's, Australia loves a leg spinner who's able to really turn the ball. And uh, I think uh, we've already seen the impact that she's had, regardless of the fact that that wicket column uh, isn't as high as she would like or probably the Australians would like.
And the final selection puzzle that the selectors put together for the one-day series was to bring in that sixth bowl. That was Talia McGrath. Uh, she only took one wicket in the series. Lisa only bowled one over in that first game in Brisbane and didn't probably have the opportunity to, to really showcase her skills with a bat. But do you think it worked? Do you think that overall the Australian team composition looks better having McGrath and that sixth bowler in the side? I think so. I think uh, if I was to look back over the last 20 years of the Australian women's side, they've always had this third seamer, uh, whether it be a, a Clea Smith, a Sarah Coit, a Julie Hayes, a Karen Rolton, um, who's able just to tie down an end uh, and bowl very economically. I mean, Talia McGraw was kind of thrown in the deep end, wasn't she, in the second ODI when, uh, unfortunately, Elise Perry was dragged uh, for bowling two waist-high full tosses. So McGrath came in under pressure because uh, the English side would have been quite happy to see the back of Perry, but uh, she bowled well stump to stump. She shapes the ball nicely, and uh, Elise Villani kind of gave us an insight that when she's got the new ball in hand, she actually gets a nice shape away from the right-handers. So uh, I still think that she's a, a work in progress. Uh, I think they'd be happy with what she's been able to produce so far. Um, and I'm glad that they've brought in the third seamer. Whether she's the third seamer moving forward, uh, I guess that will depend how um, the Australian team prepare for this uh, the day-night test. Right. Let's go to the English for a little minute. And Brunton Shrubsole, England's stalwarts, uh, top builder with the new ball, Lisa they only took four because between them in the series, Brunt went for two for 147. Shrubs sold two for 128. Brunt didn't take a wicket in the final two matches. And for those two bowlers, exceptional bowlers, to only take four wickets between them in the series is one of the big reasons why the scoreline reads 2-1 Australia. Absolutely. Uh, the fact that Brunt really is the lion heart of uh, the English side and you keep her quiet and put her under pressure, she kind of goes back in her box. And the team is so used to Brunt and Shrubs sold making... Uh, early impacts in the opposition and they haven't been able to do it. And a, an interesting statistic that we threw up um, in the third ODI is that England, out of all of the top eight teams, struggle to pick up wickets in the first 25 overs of the match. So they're picking up a wicket every 55 runs, whereas uh, other teams are obviously a lot better than that. So uh, it just shows that they're not having the impact that they they would like to have, and that's putting a lot of pressure not only on their other bowlers, but I think they're batters, and that's why we've seen that their top order hasn't necessarily fired as well as they would have liked uh, in the first two ODIs. So whilst uh, Australia would be happy, the fact that they've kept them quiet, we are moving into the day-night test where you'd expect there to be a little bit more grass coverage on the wicket. Um, those two are quality bowlers. Uh, their ability and their experience will certainly see them come back and come back hard. So Australia still need to, to keep doing what they're doing against those bowlers to ensure that they keep them quiet. You do that, and I think you go a long way to winning the women's ashes. Now we're going to move from fast bowlers to perhaps the slowest ball in the history of cricket, Lisa, <laughs> with Jenny Gunn's slow ball. It's called the whiff, apparently, in the England camp. Uh, it's just a slow ball bowled really, really slow. I think the speed guns on the Channel 9 cameras clocked it at about 66 kilometres per hour. It's extremely effective. It's so and, slow. And difficult to it, hit, though. It's it's actually really good. Yeah, um, and that's something that the Australian team will, will have to figure out ways of combating the whiff, uh, I think, because in the T20 format, 
we will see plenty of slower deliveries from Jenny Gunn. But also, we saw a lot from Brunt and Shrubsole at the end of the innings. I don't think I saw anyone really change up. It was always changed down, like a lot of slower deliveries. Obviously, Gunn's is the slowest. I kind of um, look at it like a grenade. You pull the pin out and you throw it up in the air. It just hangs in the air, hangs, 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 and then lands and then explodes, and there's nothing for you to really do. And it's hard when there's no pace on the ball to try and manufacture it and try and find the boundary as well. So it's worked so far, and it certainly worked in the third ODI. Uh, Will it work for the remainder of uh, the the? The series, I don't know. I think I'd like to think that the Australians will will come up with different plans to face that. You know, I think you've almost got to face it like a spin bowler, and um, you know, and try and prepare yourself for that. So uh, it's been effective for England, and I'm sure that it will still uh, bamboozle a number of other um, uh, batters to come. Right, so the one-day leg is done and dusted. 2-1 Australia, four points to two. Lisa, heading to this day-night test match, who has the momentum? It's tough, isn't it? Because you're going into a format that both teams haven't got a lot of experience. Obviously, day-night, pink ball, both teams have no experience of that. Uh, I'd say that uh, Australia might have slight advantage given that they're they're four points uh, to two up and uh, they obviously have a great affinity with North Sydney Oval, but so does England. There'll be a number of players there that played in the 2009 Women's World Cup where they beat New Zealand, so they'll be happy to go back to a ground that they're familiar with. Uh, I think a lot will uh, depend on this three-day-night uh, warm-up matches that both teams are playing. I think whoever handles it the best and whoever the, the big stars perform I think we'll take some momentum uh, leading in. So maybe we should uh, wait until the end of the warm-up games and then we can have another discussion. All right. Well, the warm-up games are taking place this weekend. Australia are taking on the ACT. Uh, They've actually got a couple of proteas in their side, Lisa, with Marazan Cap leading the charge there. Uh, That'll be at Monica Oval. And then England will play a CA11 under lights at Blacktown. Lisa, as you said, these teams haven't played a test match in two years. So what are they going to do to figure out their best Test 11? Is it going to be solely dependent on these matches or do you reckon they've got in their mind an 11 and they're just trying to figure out the final few spots? I think uh, I think they've got definitely uh, maybe 11-12 that they're, they're comfortable with. The, the last spot will, will always be the hardest and I think the batting order for both teams, you might see a change. I think definitely with the Australian side. Um, so... I think uh, when we see who bats where in this in these practice matches, I think will indicate to us uh, roughly what they're thinking and what their plan of attack is. So, um, yeah, a lot is riding on these practice matches. So I think everyone should kind of glue into to those uh, matches and see what's uh, what's certainly going to happen. Um, but it's uh, exciting for the, for both teams. You know, the pinnacle for for any cricketer is to play Test cricket and. To play uh, the first ever day-night test match in for women's game, I think uh, all players will be licking their lips and wanting to perform well. And whoever wins that match certainly takes a huge advantage going into the final three T20s. Well, it's a must-win for England, isn't it, Lisa? Because if Australia win that, they move to eight points and, and retain the Ashes. So it's uh, all on the line for England. And in fact, Matthew Mott said after that match, if Australia had won that third game and gone six points clear, it might have changed the thinking about their 11 going into that test match needing only a draw to retain the ashes so um, a lot to play for England absolutely and Australia can seal the trophy there at North Sydney Oval just on the batting order 
with Mooney missing out in the one day is for the expense of that sixth bowler. Probably don't need that in the test match. Do you expect Beth to come back into the side, Lisa? Uh, potentially. I mean, you've got a few options even within the playing 11 of who could open. Uh, Rachel Haynes opens for New South Wales in a one-day format. Um, I think she's a wonderful player at the top of the innings, whether she comes up into that position. Beth Mooney certainly can. Um, Alex Blackwell could probably move up as well. And I, and I think that they'd be smart in, in kind of dropping Elise Perry back into more of a four or five, given the amount of workload she'll be trying to do from a fast bowling perspective and also in the field. So uh, I, I think they've got some, the Australian team have got a lot of um, variations they could have in their batting order, which is really exciting to see, whereas England, I think, will struggle. Um, I'd expect potentially Cheadle to come back in for Talia McGrath. I think that left left arm um, swing bowler coming back into the right hand is is going to be crucial. Uh, And as for the spinners, well, it'll be interesting because potentially you could just go in with uh, the likes of Wellington uh, and Gardner and Jess Jonathan may miss out because... Uh, you want you might the, the Australian team may want to bring in another batter just to strengthen it as well. So um, they potentially could go in with two spinners. I think they'll have a look at the wicket. I guess how much grass cover is on, and uh, if there's a fair bit uh, still left on, I think they might prefer to go with extra seamers than the extra spinner. Because you've also got Nicole Bolton who can pull a few offies as well. Uh, so you know they've got. That they've got potentially a third part-time spinner to come in. Plenty of options. What about England? You said they might struggle, Lisa. What do you expect from them in terms of their team makeup? Yeah, I think uh, from a batting perspective, the only one really sitting off is Georgia Elworth. Uh, I don't know how she she comes into the side. I, I don't know who they drop. Uh, so I think from a bowling perspective, you've got uh, Danny Hazel. And um, Laura Marsh sitting off, and you've got your two left-arm orthodox in. I think that's where they might change, and I think Laura Marsh might get the nod ahead of Hazel. Um, out, of the, out of the spinners, the left-arm orthodox, who would I drop? I mean, Alex Hartley is effective in one-day cricket, whereas I think Sophie Eccleston is a bit more of the longer format. You know, has, is a tall bowler, flights the ball, um, gets good revs on it. So she might create a few, a few many, few more opportunities for England that way. But uh, again, it, it's going to be tight, and everyone's going to be vying for that opportunity to play a Test match because, as you said, it only comes around uh, every two years. Um, so uh, I think uh, it will be uh, hotly contested by both teams. And that's the thing, isn't it, Lisa? That, that because of the the rarity of these Test matches. The thinking for a lot of these international players is all about limited overs cricket. So for a bowler, it's about containing, not necessarily looking to get wickets. And for a batter, it's about you know they, they know their their end result, don't they? they? Know how many balls they've got to face, they know what target they have to get. It's going to have to be a real shift in the mindset of these players. And how difficult is that going to be? Yeah, I think both teams in in the past have kind of jumped at the white ghost, so to speak, because you're in white, so you think it's different. The red will um, prior to the, this pink full test the red ball you think it's going to do plenty more um it doesn't sometimes you just kind of get it in your head that it it does a lot more and you've got to be really patient i think the the players need to just trust in their skills and and go with what they feel comfortable doing um you certainly as as a spectator you you want to see an, an interesting test match um 
uh, you want to see players looking to score runs and teams looking to pick up wickets. That's the best way. So um, it is a bit of a mind shift, but uh, they don't need to shift it too much. Uh, I think they're all playing some decent cricket, which bodes for a very exciting test match. Yes, the first ever Day Night Ashes test match we played in North Sydney Oval from November 9th. Tickets are $10 for adults, $5 for concession, and they're free for kids. And if you can't get to the ground, the match will be live-streamed on cricket.com.au with a star-studded commentary team headlined by you, Lisa. Should be a belter. Yeah, it should absolutely be a lot of fun. Um, I think it might be the first time four female commentators will be leading the commentary coverage. Uh, uh, Charlotte Edwards, Melanie Jones and Isha Gua and myself. Uh, there'll be plenty of banter in the commentary box because uh, two Aussies, two English, uh, English women and then uh, plenty of history between the four of us of past test matches. And, and don't be surprised to hear a few guests commentators are popping in as well because I expect a lot of past players to be floating around to to be part of this day-night test match and uh, it'd be great to hear some of their stories of uh, travelling over to England and test cricket back then in the 50s, 60s. So uh, it should be an exciting uh, four, four days, four nights. Lisa, you're not talking about... You didn't travel in the 50s and 60s, did you? No, that's no. Mel. That's oh, not me. <laughs> I'm a bit younger. You've got to team up. You've got to team up. You guys can't be going against each other. I mean, how how is the commentary team pairing going to work? Is it going to be an English an English player and a, and a former Australian player in the box at the same time? Or are you going to just team up and go Aussies one segment, Englishmen the next? I think I think we'll see a number of combinations mm. over the course of the the four the four days. So uh, certainly, I think the the predominantly it will be a, an Aussie and the. Uh, an English player, well, past player within commentary team. And then I think, uh, you know, we might just throw in two Poms at the same time and two Aussies just to, just to change it up. I don't know if I could be listening when there's two Poms, but everyone else should. Live streamed on cricket.com.au. <laughs> and on day three, Lisa. Sam. I oh, know, on day three, Lisa. Yes. November 11. Uh, encourage all fans to get to the game and wear something pink because uh, it's going to be the second day three on the cricket calendar in Sydney where. Uh, Cricket will be supporting the McGrath Foundation. It's a great initiative, Lisa, that has helped thousands of women in this country. Yeah, it is. Um, I've been part of the McGrath Foundation um, for a long period of time, I think since 2009, and they do some wonderful work in the sense to ensure that all women across Australia have um, a chemo nurse, which is quite specific to breast care patients and um, they they are able to do wonderful work not only with the patient but also the family and you know I, I can attest that they were certainly very valuable uh, when my mother was going through uh, breast cancer so great to see that the McGrath Foundation is part of this uh, the pink day night test and I know that uh, Sydney siders certainly have an enjoyable time when they get to dress up in pink even the guys enjoy it they go this is where I can really wear my favourite colour without getting a bit of stick. So um, I urge everyone to come down because it really is a special event uh, when you come down and you see everyone uh, in pink and a special occasion not only for the McGrath Foundation but for the players as well. Absolutely. If you forget something pink, you can pick up a McGrath pink bandana there for a gold coin donation. (laughs) 
Now, Lisa, while this has been happening, uh, all the women's Ashes action, there's been the first round of the JLT Sheffield Shield. So let's quickly go around the grounds and recap the scores. In Brisbane, Queensland beat Victoria by 110 runs, thanks to 122 from Usman Kawaja. In Perth, the Warriors bowled out Tasmania for 63 in the fourth innings. That was their lowest ever Shield score to win by 301 runs. And finally, at the Adelaide Oval, Mitchell Stark's career-best haul of 8 for 73 led New South Wales to a six-wicket win over South Australia. Uh, it was a pink ball round, that one, Lisa, the opening round, and it seems like the pink ball dominated the bat. Yeah, it certainly did. Uh, I was able to see a few of the highlights of um, Mitchell Stark's uh, bowling spell and the fact that it moves so late and he bowls it at that pace makes it extremely difficult for for any batsman. So uh, certainly the pink ball has dominated. I mean, it's early on in the season, isn't it? So if you get the ball in the right area feet may may not move as well as you'd like and uh certainly the bowlers cashed in uh so the the innings it was interesting to watch all the shield results because there's been so much pressure or so much talk about you know the potential players that might put their hand up for the test side uh it's exciting to see that because i think the great thing about shield cricket which is really the nursery ground of the australian team and you want all the players vying for positions in the Australian team, but more importantly, trying to win games for their state. And we certainly saw that uh, in the first round of Sheffield Shield. Lisa, put yourself in the shoes of the England camp. They've just arrived here in Australia and they've arrived to watch Mitchell Stark take 10 wickets. He's made in first-class 10-wicket hall. He got the ball to reverse swing, uh, which has been practically unseen uh, with the pink ball since it's come into um, come into cricket. What would you be thinking if you're an English player right now? Well, I think uh, it is quite daunting to kind of uh, land and and, you put, and I'm sure everyone else is throwing the footage up in front of them. Uh, the thing is they've, they've still got the Gabba test to start with, so their focus is red ball. Uh, and we all know how important the first test is. Uh, if If visiting sides can kind of match it to the Australian team which dominates at the Gabba uh, it means that it just changes the feel of the Ashes series if uh, the visiting side can can push back against the Aussies so uh, I think all attention should be on the first test let's get through that one before and I'm sure the players will be thinking before we start thinking about the pink ball because uh, they certainly don't want to go one nil down uh, leading into the second test with the pink ball swinging around like Mitch Stark does so um, whilst I'm sure it, it, it will be off-putting for the English side, I'm sure all of their focus will be on preparing correctly for the Gabba test. Now, just who will bat at number six and take the gloves in the first test is no clearer because nobody really put their hand up in the first round. Neville, Wade and Kerry all vying for that wick-keeping spot. They all failed with the bat while only Sean Marsh and Hilton Cartwright posted half-centuries. Uh, Lisa, would the selectors be any closer to knowing who fills those gaps in the test team? Uh, no, I don't think so. I think the fact that no one really did stand out um, with gloves or bat in that number six position, I, I think uh, that they'll have, they would have all had a look and I'm sure the selectors were at certain grounds looking at potentially you know, how the, the wickets were playing, um, but also when those certain players that have kind of been earmarked for the gloves or number six position, how did they approach their innings? Did they look confident or did they just get a, a really good ball or was it bad timing or shot selection? So 
when team when individuals don't necessarily put a lot of runs on the board, sometimes you have to delve a little bit deeper into their innings and how well they they went or how poorly they went. So they would probably have marked all of the the players now and um, have got a, a rough idea, and then they'll wait until the second Sheffield Shield before they really uh, make their final decision or I'd, I'd like to think that at least. Round two starts on Saturday, November 4 with New South Wales hosting WA at Hurstville Oval in Sydney. Victoria play the Redbacks at the MCG and Tasmania Greek Queensland in Hobart. Another massive round of Shield cricket which can be watched live and free on cricket.com.au. Lisa, thank you for your time as always and we look forward to hearing you in the women's test match starting November 9 in Sydney. No worries, Sam. Time for the Ashes quiz. You ready? Who hit the winning runs in the amazing Adelaide test of 2006-07? Michael Hussey. Spot on. One from one. Name the English bowler who took 19 wickets in an Ashes test. 19 wickets in an Ashes test? Yardley or someone? He's Australian. Uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Jim Laker. Laker. Damn, I knew that. Ah, that hurts. I seen it on the board once. <laughs> yeah. Oh, right. I couldn't think of his name. Manchester, I think it was. 56. Manchester. Yeah. What a genius. Name the batsman who Shane Moore dismissed for test match wicket number 700. Strauss. Everyone's got that one. Yeah. yeah. Memorable moment. Okay, since World War Two, who has scored the most Ashes centuries for Australia? Since World War Two. Is this a left field one? No, nah, so we don't put Bram in it. Okay. Yeah. So Ricky, Ricky Ponting? Final answer? No, because you gave me that look. Um, most Ashes centuries. Steve Smith? Steve Smith. He scored what? He scored four. How many? Just give me a number first and then... I'm Ten. Ten National... Oh, Steve Waugh. Steve Waugh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not giving it to you, though. You can't have 50 guesses. <laughs> Steve Waugh. I got it right. I'm a genius. <laughs> I need to know how many, though. No, you don't. Yeah, I do. Give me some luck. Who fielded the ball at second slip? From Steve Harmison's opening delivery. Andrew Flintoff. You know, I don't want to get that one. Really? Yeah. What were you, do you remember watching that? Yeah. What was going through your head when you saw that? I just laughed. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. That's yeah. entertainment. <laughs> True. Uh, finally, name the captain who infamously elected to bowl at the Gabba in 2002. I'm going to say Mike Arthurton. That's what I was saying. And he was one of them. That's it for today's episode. The Unplayable Podcast will be back next week. But until then, don't forget to buy your Women's Ashes tickets at cricket.com.au forward slash tickets and catch every ball of the JLT Sheffield Shield live and free on cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com.
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.